Peter Singh tells a story. He says, Some years ago I witnessed a tragic accident while on an early spring canoe trip in Maine. We had come to a small dam and put into the shore to portage around the obstacle. A second group arrived, and a young man within that group, who had been drinking, decided to take his rubber raft over the dam. When the raft overturned after going over the dam, he was dumped into the freezing water. Unable to reach him, we watched in horror as he struggled desperately to swim downstream against the backwash at the base of the dam. His struggle lasted only a few minutes, and then he died of hypothermia. Immediately, his limp body was sucked down into the swirling waters. Seconds later, it popped up, ten yards downstream, free of the maelstrom at the base of the dam. What he had tried in vain to achieve in the last moments of his life, the currents accomplished for him within seconds after his death. Ironically, it was his very struggle against the forces at the base of the dam that killed him. He didn't know that the only way out was counterintuitive. If he hadn't tried to keep his head above water but instead dived down to where the currents flowed downstream, he would have survived. This tragic story, Peter says, illustrates the essence of the system's perspective, that structures of which we are unaware hold us prisoner, and that conversely learning to see the structures in which we operate begins a process of freeing ourselves from previously unseen forces and ultimately mastering the ability to work with them and change them. The story that I've been carrying around in my head for 25 years, well, it's got me thinking. Noble House podcast, and I'm Tom Noble. I first read this story uh, from Peter Singh, I guess it was late ni- in the late 90s. Um, it w- is from his book, The Fifth Discipline, and I was reading it for, you know, for the leadership principles to be drawn from it, and the organizational you know, theory around, around dealing with systems, as I mentioned a minute ago. But this particular story always stuck with me, and and. It's now come, it's come back to mind. Why is that? Just as background, I'm about to turn 60 years old. I've been a Republican. I was a Republican since 1980. I'm also a Christ follower. I've attended Southern Baptist churches my entire life. But in 2016, the convergence of those, of those two worlds came together as I heard I heard prominent Baptist leaders, preachers, strongly endorsing Donald Trump, a man I had I had uh, I had real difficulty with, um, and and the the idolatrous convergence of those of those two worlds, the the depravity of Donald Trump, and the cover and support of evangelical leaders. Uh, yeah, it gave me a lot of concern, and I my, my previous podcast, uh, Christian Nationalism and Choosing Barabbas, is all about that. This this isn't so much that as much as it is to say by 2016, I I was developing a real problem with what I saw happening in the Republican Party during the primaries as we went from I don't know maybe 15, 16 Republican candidates in the in the early stages of the primary, um, and and watched Trump week after week say something terrible 
and and watch his support climb every week according to conventional wisdom he should have been dropping out of the race but every week with every ridiculous statement revealing his true heart his support grew and and that really began to challenge me as a republican how could a growing number of republicans revel and what they were seeing with Donald Trump as a candidate. I mean, part of it seemed obvious to me. They, 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 li- they liked poking the libs, poking the dims in the eye. And Trump did that very well. You know, scorched earth, techno-prisoners style of, of politics uh, was appealing to, frankly, a lot more people than I would have imagined. Um, it was disappointing. But that's where I was in, in 2016. And so, for me, the story comes to mind, came to mind, then, in that Trump drunk with his own narcissistic tendencies, took the Republican Party over the dam in his rubber raft. Why am I, why am I so, why do I have such difficulty with Donald Trump? I'm going to try and express this, not policy. This is not about policies. This is about the man, the person. I, I, I was taught early on, my first degree is in history, and I was—I remember a sophomore class, first day of class on presidential history. I remember the, the professor, doc, Dr. Armitstead, making the point that all of us who thought we voted for the man and that somehow made us, you know, more intellectual, you know, smarter, we, we were savvy to the, to the process. He pointed out that while we may think that we were voting for the man, we got the party. I believe in 2016 that conventional wisdom changed, and the man changed the party or is maybe it didn't change the party as much as it drew out drew out some of the things popular phrase these days is saying the quiet things out loud it drew out maybe aspects of our republican party's character that we either hadn't seen or were happy to ignore either way we went over the dam what are my issues with donald trump I firmly believe that Donald Trump did not make America great again. Donald Trump made America grieve again. And it started with his scorched earth, shoot the prisoners style of politics, making the leap from metaphor to reality as his, in 2020, election fraud lies took root. And many of his supporters began threatening literal civil war, promising to literally shoot the prisoners, flying the black flag of no surrender from their, from their porches, from their trucks. This was made possible because Trump created and fueled the perception that your hate for others was justified, that the expression of that hate was simply calling it like it is, and those that opposed you are our enemies, and that our enemies are actually traitors worthy of death, and that your open opposition to those traitors makes you a patriot. Donald Trump's legacy is one of mockery. He mocked his political opponents and their family. He mocked the generals that served him while praising despots. He mocked the soldiers that served. He mocked the soldiers that were captured. He even mocked those soldiers that lost their life in service to our country. Now, as members of his administration are coming forward to testify to the January 6th committee hearing, 
He is mocking them, and his supporters are trashing them, trashing their character, their integrity, saying that they are all lying, and Donald alone is telling the truth. Donald Trump's legacy is one of division. He polarized the political system and society. He destroyed the Republican Party, he damaged friendships, and he divided families. Donald Trump's legacy is one of conflict. Hatred, rage, greed, envy, fear. And for the churches that contorted the gospel to give him cover, idolatry, blasphemy, hypocrisy. Donald Trump made America grieve again because he appealed to our inner demons, paranoia, prejudices, perceived persecutions, and the dark tendencies of our nature. He reminded us of the potential malice stored up in unleashed contempt and cruelty and how fragile our democracy really is. And so in spite of all this, the Republican Party freely joined Donald Trump in his little raft, and Donald Trump in 2016 took the Republican Party over the dam to the point where on January 6, 2021, the Republican Party found itself in the maelstrom at the base of the dam, trying to swim downstream, or as Kevin McCarthy put it, just move on, but struggling against the backwash and the pull of the currents from the guilt, the obvious conspicuous guilt. It hadn't been BLM. It wasn't Antifa. It was Republican Donald Trump supporters that had assaulted the Capitol in an attempt to overthrow Congress's constitutional responsibility for the peaceful transfer of power to overturn the Trump supporters attempting to overturn an election. The Republicans resorted, the Republican leaders resorted to what they knew, the forces that controlled them that they couldn't see past. They just needed to stay in power at all cost. They had the midterms coming up in, in a year and a half, two years. Don't admit wrong. What about that Democrat or this Democrat? They needed to appeal to their base. They thought they had to protect their base. They couldn't, they couldn't lose their seats in Congress. So there'd be no admitting of any guilt. Just try to deflect. Nothing to see here. It's a two-party system. Circle the wagons and defend your party. You're either for us or you're against us. To admit wrong or agree with anyone on the other, par- on the, on the other side of the aisle is disloyalty. And in today's heightened, exaggerated sense of party, it's treachery. This leads me to another story. It goes back, gosh, 160 years or so. Uh, one told by Abraham Lincoln, and he told it to his cabinet. Abraham Lincoln, in the midst of the war, learning of some disloyal Union leaders undermining the war effort, was reminded of this story and told his, his cabinet in an expression of, of how he was feeling. He said, there was a farmer who had a tree by his house. It was a majestic-looking tree and apparently perfect in every part, tall, straight, and immense in size, the grand old sentinel of its forest home. One morning, while at work in his garden, he saw a squirrel run up the tree and into a hole. 
and thought that the tree might be hollow. He proceeded to examine it carefully, and much to his surprise, he found that the stately tree that he had valued for its beauty and grandeur to be the pride and protection of his little farmhouse was hollow from top to bottom. Only a rim of sound wood remained, barely sufficient to support its weight. What was he to do? If he cut it down, it would do great damage with its great length and its spreading branches. If he let it remain, his family was in constant danger. In a storm, it might fall, or the wind might blow the tree up against the house and crush his house and his children. What should he do? As he turned away, he said sadly, I wish I'd never seen that squirrel. This story speaks to me now because I see many Republicans in the dilemma that Lincoln described with this farmer. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the hardcore, yeah, I'm going to call them rabid, MAGA base. Some of the people that I believe we're hardly even in, we're hardly even interested or, or, or involved in politics before 2016, but have showed up to the party because they want to make some noise and break some stuff. Even some of them in Congress now. Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, uh, to name a few. I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about what I believe is the majority of Republicans who, wearing the team jersey, only two teams, right? Wearing the team jersey have stayed loyal, or in the case of this metaphor, this story, they have depended on that tree, and they have built their house with that tree to serve as its protection. To me, the answer for these Republicans is counterintuitive. It's move the house, build a new house. And I'm I'm not talking about becoming a Democrat. What I'm saying is, that last year, I grew tired, after 40, 41 years of being a Republican, I grew tired of being disavowed by some of these, I call them, you know, spring break Republicans. They, they showed up for the party to make noise and break stuff, and suddenly they're the Republican Party, and I was being castigated for being a rhino, Republican in name only, R-I-N-O. I was castigated for being a lot of other things, usually filled with uh, with profanity. And after a while, I realized it, w- it was more than just a bunch of loudmouths on social media. It, was, it really was becoming who the party was, if you looked at the, re- the Republican congressional leadership. So I decided to leave. And in Texas, that's not a big deal. It's, uh, you, you don't declare a party affiliation. You're simply a registered voter. It's an open primary state. Um, but most people identify, discuss, label themselves as Republican or Democrat. Some will call themselves independent. I'm now independent because I will no longer be defined by a party that continues to define itself in the way it has in the last few years. And what that did, and what I want, the reason I want to encourage this group of Republicans who see themselves in, in the same position as the farmer, what that did when I took off that Republican team jersey, I didn't change. My morals and values didn't change. But it liberated me from feeling as if I needed to toe the line, defend 
every aspect of the Republican platform or everything that came out of a Republican's mouth that I had to watch a certain cable news station and hate other cable news stations. When I, when I became a nonpartisan, if you will, I became much stronger and, 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 and more, more confident, I guess, in what I believed, in what I believed, not, not, not standing in line with the others simply because we were supposed to believe these things. It was freeing and liberating. Now, I get, I get that there are very few independent candidates. There's not a defined independent platform. But what I think you'll find is that most independents are a combination of moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats. I know that there are not independent candidates to vote for, typically. But as an independent voter, I am able to vote for either candidate more freely, if you will. Now, logistically, technically, in about half the states, you have to you have to register as a Republican or Democrat. You can only vote in one primary or the other. And so you have to know which party you want to vote for in the primaries, but you can also do that in advance of the primaries, sign up and change. Ultimately, the logistical, technical nature of what I'm saying is not what's important other than you know, assuring that the you know, best candidates are moving forward from the primaries into the general elections. The most important thing that I believe came out of this for me is, is a more country-first mindset in looking at issues and candidates. And I think, I believe, that if more people declared themselves to be independent and separated themselves formally from the Republican Party, and if you feel this way about the Democrat Party, then the Democratic Party, I believe that we would see a rise in independent candidates. And I believe we would see a moderating effect on both the Republican and the Democratic parties. I think this also ties into the very first story I told, the one from Peter Singh and his, his experience in the Maine River canoe trip. After struggling, for me, after struggling for four years during Trump's presidency to, to be a loyal supporter of the Republican Party as it began to manifest itself through Trump's personality and values, culminating on January 6th, and then immediately afterwards when the Republican leadership failed to take responsibility failed to acknowledge the truth of what happened, failed to deal with the consequences, failed to look to country before party, failed to be willing to lose in pursuit of the truth. As I realized that, I realized that I needed to dive below the surface, at the dam, if you will, and the currents that I found that then took me downstream to becoming an independent freed me 
from the moral issues I was having with my party, and frankly, again, back to my previous podcast, with my religious leaders and the idolatry of wrapping the church in the flag, I became an independent, and I remained an independent Christ follower, not submitting myself to the idolatrous leadership from some of our denomination's leaders. And the liberty, the freedom that comes with that, to following your conscience, the tenets of your faith, unpolluted and uncorrupted by politics, it lifts a huge weight. I believe the counterintuitive solution for many Republicans is to leave the Republican Party. If the Republican Party has not already drowned and is, is, has any life left in it, I think the counterintuitive solution to its, its return to a healthy party is for a contingent of Republicans to leave it, to reestablish themselves with, with moral integrity as independence. And if they're able to go back to the Republican Party, as it's named today, or another party that takes its place, that's the future of a party that will help contribute to a healthy political system. Everybody feels the weight of the vitriol and the hatred that exists in our politics today. In fact, the, the fact that politics dominates so much thought and conversation and news is wrong. If politics is done right, if it's done correctly, it happens in the background. Politicians don't seek to become rock stars. They go, they do a job, they govern. The problem comes when we, we don't have strong leaders serving us in Washington or at the state level, but instead we have politicians interested only in their own advancement, their own agendas, their own power. Because leaders will see difficult situations and circumstances, maybe even directions that the people are taking, and they will work with people to to correct and improve that reality. Politicians see that reality and just find ways to exploit it. And one of the ways they do that is to strike fear in the hearts of the, of the voters. Vote for me or my opponent will end life on this planet as we know it. Republicans, the Democrats are not your enemy. The Democrats are not communist. Whatever you believe is on Hunter Biden's laptop. It has nothing to do with the reality of what happened on January 6th. January 6th was not just about corruption. It was about an attempted coup, an attempted overturning of a fair election. The answers are counterintuitive. Quit fighting their traditional political fight. Dive below the surface. Take the current downstream and come up with a different perspective Become an independent, someone who critically views all positions and events, puts principles, puts 
country before party, any party, either party, but especially any individual. Be independent.